We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 197 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, the final day of November, and it has been a November to remember for the Washington football team. The Washington football team now has won three consecutive games. Who says? that Washington doesn't win at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Who says that Washington winning at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football is so hard? Oh, it never happens. Well, it has happened. It happened on Monday night. Washington won. Let's play every Washington game from now on on Monday nights. Okay, maybe not. But Washington has gone from 2-6 and six to 5-6 and six and now is in possession of the NFC's third wildcard spot. If you Google up your current NFL playoff standings, you see the team from Washington, the NFL franchise based in the Washington, D.C. area, currently known as the Washington football team as the NFC's number seven seed. A 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. I have been up all night, but that's okay. This is a labor of love and off a big win like Monday Night's win. I'm not sure that I could sleep anyway. Uh, I was fired up off this game. I'm sure so many of you listening were fired up off this game. Ron Rivera was fired up off this game. The Washington football team shortly after the conclusion of this game, late night on Monday night, put out yet another locker room celebration video Here was the Don, Don Ron, late night, Monday night in the Washington football team locker room at FedEx Field, letting his team know how fired up he is about what's happening right now. Take a listen. 
we need is in this room. Everybody in this room we need. We've got to work together, stay together, and be the team that we can be. We will not take it from anybody. I don't give a how they stack it against us. We're whipping it. Now let's play football. Here we go. Team all three. One, two, three. Team I love it. You had Don Ron cursing up a storm in that locker room speech to his team. But I love the beginning of that. And if you haven't seen the video of it, you definitely have got to take the 35 seconds or so to watch the video. But Ron Rivera screaming, I told you, I told you, everything we need is in this room. How does that not get you fired up? Everything we need is in this room. Everything we need is in this room. Everybody in this room we need. Yes, Ron, exactly. Everything we need is in this room. Just like everything you need is on this podcast. And we are here together celebrating a Washington football team victory. My, oh my, how an NFL team's season can change over the course of just a few weeks. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team's 17-15 victory over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. I'll then give you more thoughts from the game beyond those thoughts in the front five. There is so much to get to with this game. There's so much to like with this Washington football team. It's players and coaches right now. Oh, they're not perfect, okay? Uh, They are plenty flawed. That game on Monday night could have been a loss, but you know what? Uh, Every other team in the NFL is flawed. All of these teams are imperfect. This isn't about style points. This isn't about being pretty. This is about winning, okay? Just win. Washington has found a way to win three consecutive games with yet another big game now coming up. Uh, No rest here. (laughs) Not for long, anyway. Washington at the Las Vegas Raiders this Sunday afternoon at 4.05. A Raiders team that will be well-rested. Why is it that Washington, in a short week, has to fly out west to face a Raiders team that will have not played since Thanksgiving? Uh, Does that sound fair to you? Anyway, uh, this is a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only DC sports podcaster show that comes to you every weekday and is available to you oh so early each weekday morning. I will talk about the Wizards' loss at the San Antonio Spurs on Monday night. I will address Max Scherzer turning heel on the Nationals and agreeing on this mega deal with the New York Mets. Uh, I'm only kidding about Max turning heel on the Nats. Well, sort of. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already do that. Subscribing costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. And especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, which is the case for most of you, please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Uh, Those things help out the podcast a lot, and I do very much appreciate it you guys doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have heard from so many of you over these last few hours since the Washington victory over the Seahawks. Tweet from PCB on Ron Rivera. Uh, Rivera undefeated in primetime deserves credit. Uh, Yes, Don Ron in the regular season 
as Washington head coach, now 3-0 and in primetime. Remember, the wildcard loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last January was a primetime game. Uh, but Washington now is 3-0 and in the regular season in primetime games in the Rivera era. There's something to be said for that. I do believe that. A tweet from Stan Carter. What kickers are available? Uh, Good question, Stan. Uh, Washington needs to get to work on that, although maybe possibly Joey Sly will be okay for this next game at the Raiders. Tweet from Gary. The culture is damn good. Uh, I know you're kidding when you say that, Gary, but I actually think this win on Monday night uh, was a culture win. I'm going to get to that Next segment, email from Mike P on the Washington football team. Which would be more impressive to you? Taylor Heineke leading the way to the playoffs of Washington having been 2-6 and six, or Robert Griffin III's 2012 rookie season comeback? Hail to the Burgundy and Gold. Hail to Taylor Heineke. So RG3 in 2012, quarterback Washington from 3-6 and six to 10-6 and six, and an NFC East championship. A remarkable turnaround to that season, clearly. I mean, we have to see what Washington's record ends up being this regular season. If Washington ends up finishing this regular season 11 and 6, if Washington wins out this regular season, 2 and 6 to 11 and 6 is more impressive than 3 and 6 to 10 and 6. Now, I'm not counting on Washington winning out to end this regular season, but you know what? I'm not entirely dismissing it either. Uh, It is impressive, this turnaround that Washington has engineered, but there's a long way to go. Uh, Still six games left in Washington's regular season. So many things can change. We get that, just like so many things already have changed uh, with Washington's season and how it is being perceived. Well, something else that's impressive is the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. And I know someone who is smiling from up above right now is a founding partner of Paulson and Nace, Barry Nace, who unexpectedly passed away recently. Uh, Just terrible news. Uh, We are certainly having the Naces uh, in our thoughts right now off what happened with Barry Nace. But the legacy that Barry Nace leaves behind is really impressive. Paulson and Nace has done so much great work over the years, will continue to do great work. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm that's not just, you know, a catchphrase or a tagline. That is legit, and Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, As we like to say, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. There's no better law firm. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. So if you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. The phone number is 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours.
All right, time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to five and six with a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Takeaway number one, I do not care that this victory was not a work of art. The Washington football team overcame so much to win this game. You know, when I think about this game and how I am going to remember it and how I believe this game will be remembered, this was a wacky game for sure. This was a game that felt like it went in a million different directions, especially as the game went on. But ultimately, Washington overcame a lot to win this game. You start with the offensive line. So Washington on Monday afternoon put Samuel Cosme on the reserve injured list. Uh, This was a really bad development that I don't know that anyone necessarily saw coming. Uh, Washington put Cosme on injured reserve due to a hip injury that he suffered in the win at the Carolina Panthers in week 11. And remember, Cosme in that game was returning of having not played in the previous four games due to an ankle injury. So really bad development there with Samuel Cosme. So Washington was down to its second string right tackle in Cornelius Lucas. Now he's more than capable. He's done a really good job for Washington over these last two seasons. But you start with Cosme now being on the reserve injured list. You then move to what happened with Washington at center. Washington in this win over the Seahawks dealt with more chaos at center. So the first string center, Chase Rulier, is on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since November 2nd due to him having suffered a fractured left fibula and potentially ligament damage to his left ankle in the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight. Washington's second string center, Tyler Larson, was inactive for this game against the Seahawks due to a knee injury that he suffered in the win at the Panthers. Washington's third string center, Wes Schweitzer, was the starting center for Washington in this game against the Seahawks, but he suffered an ankle injury in the second quarter, or at least he dealt with an ankle injury in the second quarter, because remember, he also dealt with an ankle situation in the win at the Panthers. Whatever the case, uh, that brought fourth string center Keith Ismail into the game for Washington. So Washington was down to its fourth string center on Monday night. Washington took Keith Ismail in the fifth round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of San Diego State. Rod Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night, on Keith Ismail. Oh, I thought Keith did a nice job. He, I, he really did. You know, he's, uh, he's a technician. You know, he, he, he plays with his hands well. He moves his feet well. And he, he can position very nicely. Um, he's, uh, he's a guy that plays with leverage. So he did a nice job. You saw him IDing some of the protections. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a big thing to ask of a, of a young guy. And for him to come through and, and, and do what he did, that was awesome. Yes, it was. So we had what we had with Washington's offensive line. You then moved to what went on for Washington at kicker, as in the team had no kicker as the game went on. Joey Sly suffered a hamstring injury late in the second quarter. Washington went the rest of the game without attempting a field goal or an extra point. Uh, This situation nearly cost Washington the game. More on that in a bit. You then factor in two key Washington players getting injured late in the game, J.D. McKissick and Landon Collins. You also factor in history. Washington entered this game 2-17 all-time 
in regular season games at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Russell Wilson entered this game 10-2 and all-time in regular season games on Monday Night Football. Washington had all of this in front of the team, and yet Washington overcame all of this. Washington found a way to win the game. Was the win pretty? No. Could the win have been a loss? Absolutely. But you know what? This was a win. And that's all that matters. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense played well for a third consecutive game. So Washington, yes, was facing a Seahawks offense that was struggling. Uh, The Seahawks came into this game having totaled just 13 points over the team's previous two games. Uh, The Seahawks, through week 11 of the season, were 30th out of 32 NFL teams in third down efficiency. But Washington's defense, again, did a good job here. And a defense that looked so bad over Washington's first eight games of this season now has looked good in each of the last three games. Washington held the Seahawks to just 15 points and just 412 on third down. So the third down defense was really good for a third consecutive game. Go back to the Seahawks' seventh offensive drive, resulted in a third quarter three and out, third snap of the drive. Kendall Fuller, a pass defense on a Russell Wilson third and three shotgun in completion intended for receiver D. Eskridge. A Washington generated a big takeaway in the second quarter. Seahawks' fourth offensive drive, second snap of the drive, and a Russell Wilson first and 10 shotgun play action completion to running back Alex Collins. Landon Collins did a great job of forcing a fumble that Cole Holcomb recovered as Landon Collins with his left hand punched out the football from behind on Alex Collins. We had Collins on Collins crime, but that was some play by Landon Collins, and the ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in a touchdown, resulted in Taylor Heineke's late second quarter touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick. But Landon Collins, more and more, is looking like someone who's actually good for Washington. You know, this new role for Landon Collins of playing closer to the line of scrimmage, being more of a downhill player, you know, being more of a combo safety linebacker. Landon Collins, I don't know that he loves the role. In fact, I don't think that he does, but he does seem to be a lot better lately, right, as compared to what was going on earlier this season. I still wonder why he was ever in pass coverage as much as he was earlier in the season, and I know that it's not like he's never in pass coverage now, but he is making plays now. He's playing like the player we thought that Washington was getting when the team signed him as an unrestricted free agent in March 2019. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night on Landon Collins. He's, he's doing the things that we feel that he has the perfect skill set for, and that's the Buffalo, the big nickel position. It's really just a drop-down safety. So if you guys say that once in a while, he'll be happy. <laughs> but... You know, it's what he really is. He's 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 the drop down safety that's already in the box. Um, you see it. You see on those short underneath passes how physical he is as a tackler. You know how he's around the ball. He's a good blitzer coming off the edge for us. Um, very heavy player. Knocked that ball loose and we, we were able to recover it. I mean, that's the kind of production that 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 position needs. And it's it's a it's a position that's going to play. If there are sixty plays, it's going to play at least 50, 55 of those plays. So, you know, the, the guy's done a great job for us. Landon Collins is doing a nice job. The drop-down safety uh, is doing a nice job. Uh, Also, Washington's defense was good in this way. While Washington did only have two sacks in the game, Washington finished with 10 quarterback hits, and I thought did a good job of pressuring 
Russell Wilson. Heck, on the Seahawks' first offensive drive alone, Casey Tuhill had two quarterback hits. So Casey Tuhill and James Smith-Williams are the two edge rushers playing more now, especially given that both Chase Young and Montez Sweat are on the reserve injured list. Casey Tuhill, two quarterback hits on the Seahawks' first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. First snap of the drive, Casey Tuhill, a quarterback hit on Russell Wilson on a first and 10 two-yard under center play action completion to receiver Tyler Lockett, who was quickly tackled by William Jackson, the third. And then third snap of the drive, Casey Tuhill, a quarterback hit on a Russell Wilson third and nine shotgun incompletion. Uh, the Seahawks' ninth offensive drive resulted in a three and out that resulted in a punt on the first snap of the fourth quarter. Third snap of the drive, final snap of the third quarter, Cameron Curl came in unblocked for a third and eight sack of Russell Wilson for a five-yard loss. Uh, we had this play on the Seahawks' 10th offensive drive, resulted in a fourth-quarter punt. Now, this play was neither a sack nor a quarterback hit, but this was a key play by Washington's defensive front on Russell Wilson, and pressure played a part. Fifth snap of the drive, Shaka Tony, who was back off a one-game absence caused by a concussion, tackled Russell Wilson on a third-and-ten, four-yard shotgun scramble off pressure from Deron Payne. Uh, the Seahawks' 11th offensive drive it did result in the Russell Wilson touchdown pass to receiver Freddie Swain with 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But the fifth snap of the drive, Shaka Tony, a first and 10 sack of Russell Wilson for a nine-yard loss. You had Washington completely shutting down the Seahawks running game. Uh, Washington held Seahawks running backs Alex Collins and DJ Dallas to a combined 10 carries for 18 yards. Seattle running backs did nothing in this game from a ball-carrying standpoint. Uh, that Seahawks' first offensive drive, again, resulted in a first quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive, Landon Collins, the drop-down safety, tackling running back Alex Collins on a second and eight pistol handoff run for a one-yard loss. Seahawks' third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, fourth snap of that drive. William Jackson, the third, and Matt Ioannidis teamed on a tackle of running back DJ Dallas on a third and one under center toss run for no gain. Uh, Dallas was initially slowed down by Cole Holcomb. Seahawks' fifth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Landon Collins and James Smith-Williams combined on a tackle of running back DJ Dallas on a third and two one-yard shotgun handoff run. The Seahawks' sixth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half resulted in a third quarter three and out. First snap of that drive, Landon Collins, there's that name again, tackled running back DJ Dallas on a Russell Wilson first and 10 two-yard under center play action completion. I know that's a catch, but you know, those short passes to backs are usually extensions of running games. So I'll throw that into the category of Washington stuffing the running game. And then on the Seahawks, ninth offensive drive resulted in a three and out that resulted in that punt on the first snap of the fourth quarter. First snap of the drive, James Smith-Williams tackling running back Alex Collins on a first and 10 one-yard under center handoff run. So there was a lot to like with Washington's defense. There were, though, nits to pick. That is true. I mean, this was not a flawless performance by Washington's defense. You had Washington's defense getting torched in a big spot. No doubt about that. With Washington nursing a 17-9 lead deep into the fourth quarter, Washington on that Seahawks 11th offensive drive allowed the Seahawks to put together a 10-play 96-yard touchdown drive in just two minutes, four seconds. That was painful to watch. Uh, the drive resulted in Russell Wilson's first and 10, 32-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Freddie Swain with 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And Swain was wide open 
in the middle of the field, okay? I mean, that was galling to see from a Washington perspective. But then what happened, right? Kendall Fuller on the Seahawks' two-point conversion attempt intercepted Russell Wilson's shotgun pass in the end zone to preserve a 17-15 Washington lead. But also on the drive were some terrible third down snaps for Washington. Fourth snap of the drive, Cameron Curl committed a third and five 19-yard pass interference penalty in covering receiver Tyler Lockett. Seventh snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by receiver DK Metcalf on a Russell Wilson third and six 13-yard shotgun completion to Metcalf despite a quarterback hit from Matt Ioannidis. Uh, Landon Collins got injured on that play. Tenth snap of the drive, Washington gave up a Russell Wilson third and six seven-yard shotgun completion to running back DJ Dallas. You had Washington's defense getting torched on the Seahawks' second offensive drive, resulted in Russell Wilson's late first quarter third and five six-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Gerald Everett, who beat Cole Holcomb. The third snap of that drive, receiver Tyler Lockett wide open on a Russell Wilson third and one 55-yard under center play action completion to Lockett, uh, despite Deron Payne having a quarterback hit on the play. Uh, Lockett was wide open, yet William Jackson III abandoning Lockett in coverage uh, due to apparently expecting Bobby McCain to pick up the coverage, and Washington's secondary gave up a big play there, a third and one 55-yard pass play for the Seahawks. Washington did give up a big play in the second quarter. Seahawks' fourth offensive drive resulted in that Landon Collins second quarter force fumble that Cole Holcomb recovered. But the first snap of the drive, Bobby McCain got beat by receiver Tyler Lockett on a Russell Wilson first and 10, 39-yard under center play action completion to Lockett despite a quarterback hit by Jonathan Allen. You also had that dropped interception by Cameron Curl. Seahawks' eighth offensive drive did result in a third quarter three and out, but the third snap of the drive, Cameron Curl dropping an interception on a Russell Wilson third and four shotgun incompletion. That's a pick that Cam Curl uh, certainly should have made. So again, defense had some issues, but again, defense in a much better place now as compared to where the defense was over Washington's first eight games of the season. And these now are three straight games in which the defense overall has been good. The sample size is growing, my friends. Well, speaking of growing, uh, do you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow? Do you want to reel in new customers for your business? Do you want to spread awareness of your business? Do you want to set up a website for your business but don't know where to start? Well, you can put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. ImageWorks is located in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening in, say, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, even California, ImageWorks can help you. Uh, For more than two decades, ImageWorks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But ImageWorks is more than a branding and marketing firm. ImageWorks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. ImageWorks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703 378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, 
make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. It's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to five and six with a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday night football. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke wasn't as good as he had been in his previous two games, but he ultimately quarterbacked Washington to a third consecutive victory. Here's all you need to know about Tay-Tay, and I tweeted this shortly after the game. The Washington football team entered Monday night 2-17 and all-time in regular season games at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Taylor Heineke now is 1-0 all-time in regular season games at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. 2-17 and versus 1-0. and For those who love to talk about quarterbacks' records, let that sink in. 2-17 and versus 1-0. But seriously, Taylor Heineke to me played well enough to win. I think that's the way that you frame Taylor Heineke's performance on Monday night. So he went 27-35. That works out to a completion percentage of 77.14, which is excellent. But Heineke threw for just 223 yards on his 35 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.37. Heineke threw an interception. Heineke quarterback to Washington offense that went just 5 of 13 on third downs and scored just 17 points. So, you know, we need to understand these things. The offense was not dynamic. Heineke was not excellent. However, Heineke did have a touchdown pass. Heineke made some key throws and plays. And I think if you're objective and you just go through, okay, what Heineke did in the game, you have a lot more that was good then you have things that were not so good. Uh, The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's lone touchdown pass in the game. This was Washington's fifth offensive drive. A nine-play, 73-yard drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second and seven, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. McKissick caught a screen, got a great block from Brandon Sheriff on safety, Jamal Adams, and then made interior defensive lineman Brian Monet miss on an attempted tackle and route to the end zone. So McKissick did do the bulk of the work uh, on that play. But first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 14-yard under center completion to Logan Thomas off Heineke evading multiple Seahawks defenders, including edge rusher Rasheem Green, who came in unblocked. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, nine-yard shotgun completion D'Antonio Gibson on a screen. Ninth snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 16-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter. And Heineke drew a 14-yard roughing the passer penalty on Rasheem Green, giving Washington a first and 10 at the Seahawks 13. Uh, Taylor Heineke made multiple big throws on Washington's other touchdown drive in the game. This was Washington's seventh offensive drive, was Washington's first offensive drive of the second half. 11 plays, 73 yards, resulted in J.D. McKissick's third quarter 10-yard touchdown run. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 20-yard under center play action boot completion to Terry McLaurin, despite Jamal Adams coming at Heineke unblocked on a safety blitz. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and two, two-yard shotgun completion 
to DeAndre Carter for the first down. Uh, Carter making a nice catch of a low throw. Six snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke is second and 10, nine yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter. Eight snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke first and 10, 11 yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson. Uh, the drive that resulted in that brutal fourth quarter turnover on downs featured some big throws by Heineke. So this was the drive that was Washington's 11th offensive drive, resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs. Taylor Heineke on a fourth and goal at the three had a shotgun play action pass to Logan Thomas. Looked initially like a touchdown catch, but the play was overturned into an incompletion due to the ball hitting the ground and Logan supposedly having lost control of the football. That to me was a catch, but whatever. You know how it is these days in the NFL with what is a catch versus what is not a catch. But the drive did end up consuming 8 minutes, 37 seconds off the clock. And Heineke had a lot to do with that. Four snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and nine, 12-yard shotgun completion to Logan Thomas, who was wide open. 13 snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a fourth and four, 15-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter. Uh, Taylor Heineke was efficient, although not dynamic, on Washington's second offensive drive. 15 plays, 68 yards, consumed 9 minutes, 25 seconds off the clock, resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 23-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Taylor Heineke on the drive went 7 of 7, though for just 40 yards. But on the fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a second and 7, 15-yard offset eye play action completion to John Bates, who was wide open. Eight snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, eight-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. And Taylor Heineke actually had multiple nice moments on the drive that resulted in his lone interception of the game. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in that Taylor Heineke pick, a second quarter, second and nine shotgun interception to safety Jamal Adams as a deep pass went off safety, Quandre Diggs ricocheted into the air, and then was caught by Adams. But on the third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke utilized a hard count to draw a Seahawks penalty, drew a third and three, five-yard neutral zone infraction penalty on edge rusher Carlos Dunlap. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard under center play action completion to Terry McLaurin. The sixth snap of the drive, we had a Curtis Samuel sighting. Taylor Heineke, a second and six, nine-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. Uh, the seventh snap of the drive, maybe the most impressive play of the game by Taylor Heineke, just from a standpoint of his athleticism, a first and 10, three-yard shotgun play action scramble on which he evaded two Seahawks, edge rusher Daryl Taylor, who was at Heineke's feet, and linebacker Benson Mayowa, who came charging in but whiffed on an attempted tackle thanks to Heineke ducking under Mayowa's left arm. And then the ninth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and six, eight-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Again, Taylor Heineke was not great, but he was good enough to win. And he did make a number of good plays in the game. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference late night on Monday night on Taylor Heineke's performance. I thought Taylor was sharp. You know, there were a couple things I know he'd like to have back. The one he threw to Logan that got intercepted, he was late on it, and he knows he was. Um, you know, part of the problem was Bobby Wagner rolled underneath perfectly and, and, and forced him to, uh, to, 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 to pump it once and then try to throw it, and it was by then it was late. If, if he had thrown that earlier, Bobby might have knocked it down, um, but he tried to force it. That's probably one of the big mistakes he made all day. Um, other than that, I thought he was, he, was, he was solid. He managed the game the way we needed it managed. Um, and, and then he made a couple plays when we needed the plays made. 
Yes, he did. It's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team, improving to five and six with a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Takeaway number four for a third time in as many games in this three-game winning streak, Washington's running game was key, although the running game did come up small in one key way. So Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jared Patterson. Those three guys combined for 37 carries for 141 yards and a touchdown were a big reason for Washington dominating the time of possession battle for a third consecutive game, especially Gibson and McKissick. I mean, Patterson only had one carry in the game, but Washington in this game ended up winning the time of possession battle by a jaw-dropping 23 minutes, 20 seconds. Washington is walloping opponents in time of possession during this three-game winning streak. The problem for Washington running backs in this win over the Seahawks on Monday night uh, had to do with short yardage runs during a stretch of three consecutive drives in the second half. This became actually quite frustrating from a Washington perspective. Washington could not convert on third and shorts over a three-drive stretch in the second half. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter three and out. Fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and two, one yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in another third quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one shotgun handoff run for no gain. Washington's 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt. Third snap of the drive, Jarrett Patterson, a third and one under center handoff run for no gain. Uh, This was not good. Washington actually had been quite good on short yardage runs this season, but a really bad stretch in the second half on Monday night. Still, though, there was a lot to like with Washington's running game, a lot to like with these Washington running backs, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick, both as ball carriers and pass catchers. So Antonio Gibson for the game had 100-plus yards rushing, 29 carries for 111 yards, seven receptions, for 35 yards on seven targets. The yards per carry for Gibson, just 3.83, but he had some really good runs in this game. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter 23-yard field goal for a 3-0 Washington lead. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one seven-yard shotgun read option run on which he spun away from edge rusher Rasheem Green and then plowed through linebacker Jordan Brooks for yardage after contact. Great looking physical run, and that was a successful short yardage run, a third and one seven yard run. Six snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, eight yard shotgun handoff run. Ninth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and two, four yard shotgun handoff run. 11th snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a second and four, five yard under center handoff run. Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's 10 yard touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick. With 56 seconds left in the second quarter. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, nine yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson on a screen. The fourth snap of the drive and the snap right before the first half, two minute warning. Antonio Gibson, a third and one, one yard shotgun handoff run. So there were some successful uh, third and short runs in this game for Washington. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in J.D. McKissick's third quarter second and goal 10-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Antonio Gibson had the two-point conversion run. He had a two-yard shotgun handoff run for a successful two-point conversion attempt 
to give Washington a 17-9 lead. This successful two-point conversion attempt snapped Washington having been unsuccessful on each of its last 12 regular season two-point conversion attempts that had been the longest such drought in NFL history. I talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, how awful Washington had been on two-point conversion attempts going back multiple seasons. Well, it turns out that we were in the midst of a record drought in the NFL. Washington had failed on each of the team's last 12 regular season two-point conversion tries until this Antonio Gibson run on Monday night. Uh, a snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 11-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson, who made a really nice spin move to get by linebacker Bobby Wagner for the yak necessary to get the first down. Ninth snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 10-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Washington's ninth offensive drive did result in a third quarter three and out, but the first snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard under center handoff run on which he smacked right into Seahawks corner DJ Reed near the left sideline. Another physical moment in the game. Gibson has been running very physically over these last few games. I know that Ron Rivera and Scott Turner both like that very much. And then on Washington's 11th offensive drive, the one that resulted in the fourth quarter turnover on downs, Antonio Gibson, a bunch of good runs on this drive. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, first and 10, seven-yard Pistol handoff run, second snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and three, four-yard under center handoff run on which Gibson exhibited great patience. Sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and four, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and ten, five-yard under center handoff run. Eighth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and five, 17-yard shotgun handoff run. Again, a lot to like with Antonio Gibson in this game. He didn't fumble. You know, that's good. That's a win these days. And I mentioned some of the pass catching. Antonio Gibson, seven receptions on seven targets. Every time he was targeted on Monday night, the play resulted in a catch. The same was true for J.D. McKissick, who ended up having two touchdowns on Monday night. Seven carries for 30 yards and a touchdown. Five receptions for 26 yards and a touchdown on five targets. Now, the scary thing with J.D. McKissick was him getting hurt. And this was frightening. So on that Washington 11th drive, the one that resulted in the fourth quarter turnover on downs, we had the 12th snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a third and 12, eight-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick, who got injured on the play. He lay on the field for multiple minutes, was stretchered off the field. This was really scary because you really started to wonder, you know, did the guy suffer a neck issue? Was he having trouble moving his hands and feet? Like, what exactly was going on here? Thankfully, J.D. McKissick sat up on the stretcher as he was being wheeled off the field. So good news there. But what exactly his status is, we do not know. And if J.D. McKissick is going to miss any amount of time, that is a significant loss for Washington. J.D. McKissick has been so good for Washington over these last two seasons. He was good again in this game on Monday night. So he had his touchdown catch. Uh, the Taylor Heineke second and seven, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. McKissick caught a screen, got a great block from Brandon Sheriff on safety, Jamal Adams, and then made interior defensive lineman Brian Monet miss on an attempted tackle and route to the end zone. This was Washington's fifth offensive drive. Also on the drive was a nice run by McKissick. Fifth snap of the drive, first snap after the first half, two-minute warning. J.D. McKissick, a first and 10, five-yard 
shotgun read option run. We had Washington's seventh offensive drive. This resulted in the other J.D. McKissick touchdown, his third quarter, second and goal, 10-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, and also for McKissick on this drive, seven snap, J.D. McKissick, a third and one, three-yard shotgun handoff run. And on Washington's first offensive drive, opening drive of the game, did result in a first quarter three and out, but the second snap of that drive, J.D. McKissick, a second and 10, six-yard under center handoff run. Washington is crushing opposing teams in time of possession during this three-game winning streak. Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick have had a lot to do with that. And then takeaway number five, Washington enjoyed some very good luck regarding three major special teams problems. So the Joey Sly situation, he suffered a hamstring injury late in the second quarter. It appears that he suffered the injury on the extra point attempt that followed Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick. I guess we don't know this with certainty. The extra point attempt ended up being a disaster because not only did it apparently result in Sly getting injured, but the kick was blocked by Seahawks edge rusher Rasheem Green, and he then returned the ball for two points for the Seahawks to tie the game at nine. Sly did engineer the ensuing kickoff, but he like crumbled to the field uh, on the ensuing kickoff. So, I, you know, it looks to me like Sly got hurt on that extra point attempt that got blocked and then returned for two points for the Seahawks. But Washington went the rest of the game without attempting a field goal or an extra point. And not having an available kicker could have cost Washington the game. You know, Washington deep in the fourth quarter, up 17-9, had a fourth and goal at the three. Rather than just attempt the short field goal for a 29 lead, Washington felt as if it had to go for the touchdown. And the drive resulted, right, in a turnover on downs because that Taylor Heineke pass to Logan Thomas initially looked like a touchdown connection, but ended up not being a touchdown connection upon further review. And so Washington ended up being up by just the one score, 17-9. Seahawks drove down the field, scored the touchdown on the Russell Wilson late fourth quarter touchdown pass. Kendall Fuller thankfully intercepted uh, the two-point conversion attempt in the end zone to preserve the two-point lead for Washington at 17-15. It's amazing to me, though. I mean, here you have a great punter in Tress Way. He can't kick a gimme field goal? Like, I I don't understand that. He can't kick a gimme field goal. I mean, Washington on the fourth and goal at the three couldn't have had Tressway attempt a chip shot field goal there. Uh, I don't get that. To me, if you're an NFL team and you have a punter, he needs to be your emergency kicker. Like, he needs to be capable enough to where, if need be, if something like what happened with Joey Sly happens, you can send your punter out there to at least kick a chip shot field goal. I'm not asking Tressway to kick a 55 yarder as time expires. But, you know, a short gimme field goal to put you up by two scores, that would have been huge in that spot. And Washington didn't even have the confidence in Tressway to attempt that field goal. Then you had DeAndre Carter. And look, we all like DeAndre Carter. He's been very good for Washington this season. But if you know your DeAndre Carter history, you know that he has a history of fumbling on returns. And sure enough, he had a fumble on Monday night. DeAndre Carter muffed the catch of a punt off the Seahawks going three and out on their second half opening drive. Uh, Carter did recover his fumble, and the ensuing Washington offensive drive did result in a touchdown, resulted in J.D. McKissick's 
third quarter touchdown run, but that was a moment that could have ended up being a debacle for Washington. Washington losing possession of the football uh, for a drive that, again, resulted ultimately in a touchdown. And then Washington barely avoided disaster on the kickoff that followed that late fourth quarter touchdown pass by Russell Wilson. So he connects with Freddie Swain, 32-yard touchdown strike, 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Kendall Fuller does intercept the Russell Wilson pass in the end zone on the two-point conversion attempt. So Washington is nursing a 17-15 lead. The Seahawks, as you would expect, go with the onside kick. Jordan Kanashik whiffs on a catch of the football off the Seahawks' onside kick. The Seahawks recover the football, but the snap, mercifully, is ruled a no-play due to a five-yard illegal formation penalty on the Seahawks. That was a big-time screw-up, though, by Kanashik. He was right there to recover the football, and for whatever reason, whiffed. The next snap saw Adam Humphreys recover the onside kick. Uh, The play was close, or at least appeared to be close, but Washington did gain possession of the football. Taylor Heineke took a knee, and the Washington football team came away with the win. So there you go, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the win. The Washington football team getting the five and six with a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Takeaway number one, I do not care that this victory was not a work of art. The Washington football team overcame so much to win this game. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense played well for a third consecutive game. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke wasn't as good as he had been in his previous two games, but he ultimately quarterbacked Washington to a third consecutive victory. Takeaway number four, for a third time in as many games in this three-game winning streak, Washington's running game was key, although the running game did come up small in one key way. And takeaway number five, Washington enjoyed some very good luck regarding three major special teams problems. Up next, more off Washington's win over the Seahawks, including, yes, Washington now being in possession of the NFC's third wild card spot. Ron Rivera talked about that late night on Monday night. I'll get to that and more after this. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Well, the Washington football team has won three consecutive games. Still plenty of time left in this Washington football team season to attend a game. And there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders this Sunday or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K. 
P-I-C-K.com slash Goldie. That's TickPick.com slash Goldie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, more now on the Washington football team off it winning a third consecutive game and proving a 5-6 and six with a 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. So yes, Washington now is in possession of the NFC's third wildcard spot. Washington now is, for the moment anyway, the seventh seed in the NFC. Like, you know, where Washington was at 2-6 and six and we're all having this feeling of, yeah, you know what, this season is basically over from a postseason contending standpoint. Oh, not so fast. Never, ever underestimate the ineptitude of the NFC and never, ever underestimate the potential for our team, the team currently known as the Washington football team, to make a second half of the season run. This is Washington's move. Washington has done this in some form or fashion in each of the last five seasons in which the team has made the postseason, 2005, 2007, 2012, 2015, and 2020. And maybe we're seeing something similar happen right now in this 2021 season. So the NFC playoff standings are as follows. Arizona Cardinals are the one seed. Green Bay Packers, the two. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the three. The Dallas Cowboys, the four. The Los Angeles Rams, the five, as the top wild card team. The San Francisco 49ers are the six seed as the second wild card team. And the Washington football team is the seven seed as the third wild card team. Washington, the Minnesota Vikings, the Atlanta Falcons, and the New Orleans Saints. All four teams are five and six on the year. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Carolina Panthers, each of those teams five and seven on the season. And then on the periphery of this thing, the New York Giants and Chicago Bears, each team at four and seven. The Seattle Seahawks now are next to last in the NFC. How about the fall of the mighty Hawks? You have the Detroit Lions dead last in the NFC 
at 0-10-1, but then 15th out of 16 NFC teams now, the Seattle Seahawks at 3 and eight. You know, Washington owed Seattle, right? It was Seattle that eliminated Washington from the playoffs in each of three straight playoff appearances for Washington, right? Those for the 2005, 2007, and 2012 season. So uh, Washington, to me, owed the Hawks a little something-something and gave the Hawks a little something-something with what went down Monday night at FedEx Field. But how about it? Washington has gone from two and six to five and six, and Washington as we enter the month of December, holds the third wildcard spot in the NFC. Rod Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night, on whether he addressed Washington's playoff position with his team after the win over the Seahawks. No. What we talked about was really about position. You know, we've got one more game, and, and, and then we've got the five-game round robin. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, take on um, um, take on um, um, the Raiders and get ready for them, and then we'll we'll, we'll worry about the uh, the next five games. All right. So the rest of Washington's regular season schedule is as follows: Washington has six regular season games left, four on the road, two at home. Washington will be at the Las Vegas Raiders this Sunday afternoon at 4:05, and then begins the five-game run against nothing but NFC East teams. Washington home to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon, December 12th at 1. Washington at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon, December 19th at 1. Washington then at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football, the night after Christmas, Sunday, December 26th, 8.20 kickoff. Washington then home to the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon, January 2nd at 1. And then Washington at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon, January 9th at 1 to conclude Washington's regular season. That's what you're looking at. And, you know, you think about things logically, right? So I would think 9-8 and eight gets you in as a wild card team this season in the NFC, uh, especially given Washington's conference record, which is quite good. Washington now 5-2 and two against the NFC this season. I talked about this uh, briefly on Monday's show, episode 196. But don't discount the significance of four of Washington's six losses having come against AFC teams. Washington's NFC record is sparkling now, five and two on the year. Yet Washington is 0-4 against the AFC. So what? You know, like you can live with that. But that Washington has accumulated five wins in seven games against NFC opponents this season is really significant. But here's what the point I'm trying to make. So nine and eight should do it. I think it's possible that eight and nine does it for Washington as a wild card team. Now, I'd much rather Washington go nine and eight because I think that gets you in. I think 10 and seven definitely gets you in. But eight and nine potentially could do it. Washington could maybe possibly go three and three the rest of the regular season and make the playoffs. That is a possibility. I'm not saying that's your goal to go three and three, right? Let's do better than that. Let's aim higher than 500 over the final six games of Washington's regular season. But just consider that for a moment. It's possible that Washington has put itself in a position from which the team only needs to go three and three the rest of the regular season to make the postseason. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night on Washington having gone from two and six to five and six, having essentially dug itself out of that two and six hole. Um, well, we're not out of it completely. 
you know, but, um, you know, unfortunately it was about learning and growing and it was all part of the, the process that we've had to go through to develop as a team. I mean, it, it really wasn't going to happen overnight. I mean, you know, I know last year and, and a lot of people I talked about early and I got people got upset with me, but that's ball. I mean, it's just the way it is. That's the truth of the matter. And just being honest. I think we're coming together and being the kind of team that we envisioned. And if we can continue to work and play the way we've played, we give ourselves a chance. And that's all we need is a chance. Yeah, and right now, Washington has a lot more than just a chance. Again, Washington in possession of the NFC's third and final wildcard spot. And you know what? Let's not dismiss the division. You know, I think a lot of us felt like, all right, this division is the Dallas Cowboys division this season. Well, not so fast, my friends. Not with the Cowboys now having lost two consecutive games. I mean, here we are, Washington at five and six. The Cowboys are seven and four, okay? Washington is a mere two games behind the Dallas Cowboys for first in the NFC East. That's more than make upable, given that there are six games left in each team's regular season. And given, remember, that Washington will face the Dallas Cowboys twice. Twice, in fact, in a three-week stretch in the month of December. Uh, Washington controls its own destiny. It's amazing, but it's true. A few other items from Washington's win over the Seahawks. So the return of Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel was back on Monday night. Limited playing time. Uh, He played for just the third time in 11 games this season. He was on a pitch count, as Ron Rivera said that Curtis Samuel would be during Ron's post-practice press conference on Saturday. Uh, Curtis Samuel in this game back from a five-game absence caused by, of course, the groin injury from hell. Uh, Curtis Samuel had one reception for nine yards on one target, one carry for four yards. So Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, second and nine shotgun interception to safety Jamal Adams. The sixth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and six, nine-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. And this was actually a really nice moment. Samuel was fired up after the catch, uh, motioned to the crowd as if, you know, he was trying to get them riled up. And the crowd responded. Uh, Curtis Samuel got a nice ovation from the FedEx Field fans, uh, those who were in attendance, because I know at least early in the game, FedEx Field looked mighty empty, uh, <laughs> given that this was a big game, a Monday night game. But, you know, I don't think anyone is surprised anymore by anything in terms of attendance at FedEx Field. But the fans, I thought, gave Curtis Samuel uh, a nice ovation off that catch for the first down in the second quarter. And then Samuel's carry came on Washington's seventh offensive drive, resulted in J.D. McKissick's third quarter, second and goal, 10-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Second snap of the drive, Curtis Samuel, first and 10, four-yard under center handoff run on an end around. We also had the return of Logan Thomas. Uh, Washington on Monday afternoon activated Logan from the reserve injured list. He had been on that since October 6th due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. He ended up missing six games and uh, Logan Thomas on Monday night, three catches for 31 yards on six targets. It was good to have Logan Thomas back. He also drew a penalty in the game. Washington's Third offensive drive did result in an early second quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, Logan Thomas drew a third and five, 12-yard pass interference penalty on corner Sidney Jones, the fourth. Uh, Logan had a key catch on Washington's fifth offensive drive, which resulted in Taylor Heineke's second and seven, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 14-yard under center completion to Logan Thomas. So Washington does continue to get banged up, and there's going to be a lot to monitor moving forward here as Washington now gets set for this game 
at the Raiders on Sunday afternoon. But was nice to see Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas back. And let's hope that each guy comes out of this game just fine and is able to play in a second consecutive game come Sunday at the Raiders. All right, a few non-Washington football team items off the glorious 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. We, for some reason on Monday night, had the Wizards playing at the same time that the Washington football team was playing. The Washington football team rarely plays on Monday nights. Why the NBA had a Wizards game on the lone Monday night of the last two years that featured a regularly scheduled Washington football team game. I have no idea, but whatever. Uh, If you're a Wizards fan and you missed this Wizards game, you didn't miss much. Uh, The Wizards fell to 13-8 with a 116-99 loss at the San Antonio Spurs on Monday night. Continuing the streak, the streak is the Wizards now having lost 22 consecutive games at San Antonio. You know how the Washington football team winning Monday night football games at FedEx Field is also rare? Uh, So too is the Wizards winning at San Antonio. The Wizards' last win over the Spurs in San Antonio was on December 11th, 1999. Yeah, the Wizards haven't won in San Antonio this millennium. Uh, What was going on in your life? December 1999. That was the last time that the Wizards won at San Antonio. Uh, this is not a great Spurs team this season. Spurs entered this game just 5-13 and 13 on the season. Now, the Wizards do remain without two key players in Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant. Uh, Rui has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. Bryant has yet to play this season as he recovers from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January. Wizards were up by double digits in the second half. Uh, Wizards in the third quarter led by 10 points at 59-49, but then lost the rest of the game 67-40. The Wizards defense got shredded in the second half of this game. The Wizards in the second half allowed the Spurs to score 71 points. The Wizards in the second half allowed the Spurs to go four or six on threes. And the Wizards in the second half got smashed in the paint. The Wizards in the second half allowed the Spurs to go 26 of 41 on twos and got outscored in the paint 48-20. Bad defense for the Wizards in the second half on Monday night. Uh, Bad shooting for the Wizards too. Wiz went just 9 of 31 on threes. Did go 32 of 61 on twos, but we had another bad shooting performance for Bradley Beal. Uh, He went just 1 of 5 on threes, just 7 of 16 on twos in 35 minutes, 53 seconds as a starter, uh, finished with 18 points, did have eight assists versus two turnovers. Davies Bertans continued to be abysmal since his return. Uh, Davies in 11 minutes, one second off the bench, 0-3 on threes. So Davies Bertans now is one of 19 on threes in four games since coming back from a 10-game absence caused by a sprained left ankle. Remember, Davies Bertans' thing is three-point shooting. That's the reason that the Wizards now two off-seasons ago re-signed him to a five-year, $80 million contract. He's one of 19 on threes in four games since coming back from that 10-game absence. A bright spot, again, was Daniel Gafford. Uh, He's on a nice run here. Gafford on Monday night in just 22 minutes, five seconds as a starter. 11 points on five of seven shooting, 10 rebounds, including three offensive boards and three assists versus one turnover, but Gafford was a part of that bad Wizards defense in the paint. Again, Wizards in the second half outscored in the paint by 28 at 48-20. 
So the Wizards end up going 2-2 two and two on their four-game trip to the Midwest. Uh, two wins sandwiched between two duds. Uh, the road trip started off with a terrible loss, a 127-102 blowout loss at the lowly New Orleans Pelicans last Wednesday night. You then, though, got a 101-99 win at the Oklahoma City Thunder on Friday night. And then came one of the Wizards' more impressive wins of the season, that 121-14 win at the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday night. This, to me, was a terrific win for the Wizards, playing the second game in a set of back-to-back road games, playing without three key players, because not only were Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant out for that game, but so too was Spencer Dinwiddie, and playing at a Mavericks team that came into the game 10-7 and on the season and had not played since the previous Tuesday. The Wizards ended the game on a 29-17 fourth-quarter run, but you then get this loss at the Spurs on Monday night. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Wednesday night at 7. All right, so before we call it a show, we need to talk some baseball. Uh, as we on Monday had major news regarding a pitcher who pitched for the Nationals last season. We on Monday had multiple reports that lefty reliever Luis Avilan had agreed to re-sign with the Nats on a minor league contract. He, wait, what? Oh, you mean that the Luis Avila news was not the big news? Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, Max Scherzer is joining perhaps the Nats' biggest rival, the New York Mets. Maxi Bubula, what happened? Uh, on Monday, multiple reports that free agent and, yes, former Nationals starting pitcher Max Scherzer has agreed on a three-year 100 $30 million contract with the Mets. Uh, the deal reportedly includes an opt-out for Max after two years and reportedly includes a no-trade clause. Uh, this Max Scherzer contract with the Mets is a whopper, and we have had a parade of whoppers in Major League Baseball in recent days as we approach an expected lockout on December 2nd. Uh, Max's contract with the Mets, truly an historic deal, so the average annual value of the deal is $43.33 million. This is a three-year, $130 million contract. That works out to an AAV of $43.33 million. That blows away the previous record for AAV in a Major League Baseball contract. The previous record was a $36 million AAV for starter Garrett Cole in his nine-year, $324 million contract that he signed with the New York Yankees in December 2019. So previous record, $36 million per year. Max's contract with the Mets, $43.33 million per year. Now, Cole's contract was a nine-year deal. Max's contract is a three-year deal. But still, this is significant. Uh, also, Max becomes the oldest player in MLB history to get a $100 million contract. The 2022 season will be Max's age 37 season. So the Mets will be paying Max $43.33 million per year for his age 37, age 38, and age 39 seasons. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, however, the Mets now are in a surreal place when it comes to money. So the Mets now are owned by hedge fund manager Steve Cohen. Uh, Steve Cohen became the Mets owner in November 2020, bought the team for $2.4 billion. Steve Cohen is one of the richest people in the world. And by that, I mean his wealth blows away the wealth 
of even most team owners in sports. Like among the Richie Riches, very few are as rich as Steve Cohen. Uh, Steve Cohen's real-time net worth per Forbes.com as of Monday was $15.9 billion. For comparison's sake, the real-time net worth per Forbes.com of the learners as of Monday was $4.7 billion. The learners for years were ranked by Forbes as the richest owners in MLB. Cohen's net worth per Forbes is more than triple the net worth of the learners. And so the Mets right now are spending like crazy. Uh, Part of this, again, is that lockout that's expected to begin on December 2nd. But the Mets on Thanksgiving weekend went bonkers. Uh, The Mets agreed on free agent contracts with center fielder Starling Marte, infielder Eduardo Escobar, and outfielder first baseman Mark Canna, reportedly worth a combined $124.5 million. Steve Cohen is playing with Monopoly money. He doesn't care. So as absurd as Max's contract may seem, again, three years, $130 million, I don't think that that matters to Steve Cohen. You know, Steve Cohen is early days Dan Snyder on steroids. You know, think Dan Snyder in 2000 on steroids. That's what Steve Cohen is right now for the Mets. Uh, Now, look, Max Scherzer still is an elite pitcher. Uh, Max in the 2021 regular season, over 30 starts for the Nationals and the Los Angeles Dodgers had the following rankings among qualified pitchers in MLB. Number three in ERA plus at 166. Number four in wins above replacement war per baseball reference at 6.0. Number two in ERA at 246. Number one in whip at 0.8. Eight six four. I would not say that Max is as good as he was at his peak with the Nats, but he's still really good. The problem is that Max's body has started to fall apart in recent seasons. Uh, Max was a pillar of durability for years. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Just look at his final few seasons with the Nats. So perhaps the low point of the Nationals' 65-97 and 97 2021 regular season was them getting, remember, swept in three games at the lowly Orioles from July 23rd through July 25th. That series seemingly certified the Nats being sellers regarding that MLB trade deadline on July 30th. Well, Max was supposed to start game two of that series, a 5-3 loss at the Orioles on Saturday night, July 24th. But Max got scratched from that start due to right triceps discomfort. And that scratching of Max marked what I called a sixth injury thing for Max since the start of the 2019 season. Uh, Max, during his 2019 regular season, dealt with two stints on the 10-day injured list and was never the same after those stints. Uh, The first stint was from July 13th, retroactive, to July 10th to July 25th. Uh, That was for what the Nats initially called a mid-back strain, but what was re-diagnosed as inflammation in the bursa under his right shoulder blade. Max's second 10-day IL stint in the 2019 regular season, it was from July 29th, retroactive to July 26th to August 22nd with a mild rhomboid strain. Max then was, remember, shockingly scratched from his scheduled start in the World Series. Uh, That Nats 7-1 loss to the Houston Astros at Nationals Park in World Series Game 5 on October 27th, 2019. Uh, Max was scratched from that game due to spasms in his neck and or right trapezius muscle. 
Uh, Davey Martinez, this past February 18th, the day on which Nats pitchers and catchers had their first workout of 2021 spring training, revealed via Zoom press conference that Max had sprained his left ankle while conditioning about two weeks earlier. Uh, Max was on the 10-day injured list this past regular season, June 15th, retroactive to June 12th to June 22nd, with groin inflammation. Look, Max is human. He's getting older right? His body has started to fail him. This is what happens, especially when you are in an era in MLB in which not as many players are on PEDs. You know, if this was baseball 20 years ago, uh, a guy like Max Scherzer might be great deep into his 40s. But now that guys presumably are playing clean or mostly clean, uh, you have guys' bodies fall apart as those guys get into their 30s. Um, I would be stunned if Max Scherzer averages 30 starts per season over his time with the Mets. And so to me, Max Scherzer's contract with the Mets is confirmation of two things. The first thing is that contrary to what had been said about Max wanting to sign with the team that gives him the best chance to win, uh, Max ultimately chose the team that offered the most money. Now, multiple teams were in on Max Scherzer per reports. The Los Angeles Dodgers were in the mix per reports. Uh, The Dodgers refused to offer Max three guaranteed years. Uh, This is according to Dodgers insider Jorge Castillo of the Los Angeles Times. There's no way that you can argue that the Mets offer Max a better chance to win than the Dodgers offer. The Dodgers have made the MLB playoffs in each of the last nine seasons. The Mets are perennial underachievers. There's a saying in New York. That saying is, that's so Mets. Because every season, there's some weirdo thing going on with the Mets. In many seasons, there are multiple weirdo things going on. And the Mets end up being a team that going into the season, people expect to win 90 games. And then the team ends up, you know, having a win total in the low 80s or maybe even something worse. So if this is really about going to a team that offers the best chance to win, The Dodgers are the choice, not the Mets, but Max ended up choosing the Mets. Max ended up choosing the team that offered the most money. Now, it's fine that Max chose the team that offered the most money. I don't like think less of Max because he did that, but let's make clear what happened here. Max went to the team offering the most money. The second thing that Max's contract with the Mets is confirmation of is that the Nats made the right call in trading Max Scherzer. Uh, The number one deal in terms of significance from that Nationals massive sell-off in late July was them trading, right? Max and Trey Turner to the Dodgers for four prospects, including the Dodgers' top two prospects per MLB pipeline, catcher Kaybert Ruiz and pitcher Josiah Gray. Any notion that the Nats made a mistake in dealing Max has been eradicated by his contract with the Mets, which pretty much guarantees that he would have left the Nats as a free agent. Now, I do think that most Nats fans were on board with the Nats trading Max. Uh, I was on board with the Nats trading Max from the start of the Nats 2021 season, if in fact the Nats were going to be no better than a mediocre team. And of course, the Nats ended up being a lot worse than a mediocre team this past season. But to anyone who felt that the Nats did the wrong thing in trading Max in late July, uh, to me, that complaint is now dead and buried. I mean, it was already over, but it's now over, over. Uh, I get being upset that Max was traded. Like, nobody was happy that Max got traded, but it was the right move then, and it was even more of a right move now. So good for Max for getting his money, and good luck to the Mets. Again, perennial underachievers uh, now paying 43.33 
million per year for a guy going into his age 37, age 38, and age 39 seasons. Although that guy is someone special in Max Scherzer. I mean, he is an all-time great. And oh, by the way, the Nats will begin their 2022 regular season, or at least are scheduled to begin their 2022 regular season at the Mets. So, you know, barring things like injury, or I guess another COVID outbreak for the Nats, or I guess the lockout lasting longer than anticipated, uh, the Nats will begin their 2022 regular season facing Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 198, will feature much more, oh so much more, on the now 5-6 and six Washington football team off this 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Presumably, we'll have a Ron Rivera day after the game Zoom press conference on Tuesday, but we'll see. This week is going to be all messed up with Washington having played uh, Monday night and now having to eventually, right, fly out west for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Las Vegas Raiders at 4.05. But you know what? The awkwardness is welcome with Washington now in the midst of a three-game winning streak. Also on Wednesday's show, all post-game Tuesday night's games for the Capitals in Georgetown. Caps will play at the Florida Panthers Tuesday night at 7. The Hoyas will host Longwood Tuesday night at at seven, and we could have some Nationals and Orioles news as MLB teams have until 8 p.m. Tuesday to tender contracts to those teams' arbitration eligible players. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Everything we need is in this room. Everybody in this room we need. We've got to work together, stay together, and be the team that we can be. We will not take it from anybody. I don't give a how they stack it against us, we're whipping it. Yeah. Now let's play football. Here we go. Team all three. One, two, three. Team I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.